Hey, this is Dr. Eric, and I just want to let you know about my gut healing bundle for those with thyroid and autoimmune thyroid conditions. This includes SMT Probio, which is a probiotic with 18 well-researched strains, Enzymes Plus, which not only includes digestive enzymes, but betaine, HCL, and ox bile, and SMT GI Restore, which is a stevia-free formulation that has multiple nutrients and herbs that have been proven to help support the healing of the gut. To learn more about this, you can visit guthealingbundle.com. Hey, this is Dr. Eric, and in this episode, I'm going to talk about thyroid antibodies, including the different types of antibodies, what causes elevated thyroid antibodies, and what you can do to lower thyroid antibodies. And so let's go ahead and get started. Welcome to the Save My Thyroid podcast, hosted by Dr. Eric Osansky. To stay up to date on the latest thyroid health-related topics, visit SaveMyThyroid.com. The following discussion is for educational purposes only and is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. Please do not apply any of this information without first speaking with your doctor. Now let's head to the show. Welcome back to the Save My Thyroid podcast. This is Dr. Eric Osansky, and in this episode, I'm going to discuss the different types of thyroid antibodies, and I'll also briefly discuss how to lower thyroid antibodies. So let's begin by answering the question, what are thyroid antibodies? So an antibody is a Y-shaped protein that is part of an immune system response to an antigen, and an antigen is a foreign substance that causes an immune response. And examples of antigens include pathogenic bacteria, food proteins, as well as chemicals. And so with autoimmunity, the antibodies bind to the body's own tissues, but they don't actually cause damage. So they could bind to the body's own tissues, but they're not what is actually causing damage. So why do some people develop thyroid antibodies? So there are both genetic and environmental factors. And not everyone with a genetic predisposition to Graves' disease or Hashimoto's or a different autoimmune condition, not everyone with a genetic predisposition will develop whatever autoimmune condition we're discussing. And so if it's Graves' disease and if they have a genetic predisposition to Graves, again, this doesn't mean that they will develop Graves' disease even when exposed to an environmental trigger. And the same thing applies with Hashimoto's. And there's something called the triad of autoimmunity, which I've discussed in a, at least one previous episode, maybe even multiple episodes prior to this one. And so with the triad of autoimmunity, the, there's three factors necessary for autoimmunity to develop. So there is that genetic predisposition, as well as exposure to one or more environmental triggers, as well as an increase in intestinal permeability, which is the medical term for a leaky gut. And also, in order for autoimmunity to develop, you need a decrease in what's called regulatory T-cells or Tregs, and these help to keep autoimmunity in check, to suppress autoimmunity, and also you need something called a loss of immune tolerance. So let's go ahead and discuss the different types of thyroid antibodies. So there are four main types of thyroid antibodies. There are thyroid-stimulating immunoglobulins, TPO antibodies or thyroid peroxidase antibodies, thyroglobulin antibodies, as well as thyrotropin blocking antibodies. And so these are referred to as autoantibodies. And it's also common to have multiple antibodies. And I see this all the time with my patients. I see some that have two thyroid antibodies. They might have thyroid stimulating immunoglobulins as well as thyroid peroxidase antibodies. And then there are 
people who have, who have three different types of thyroid antibodies. So it is very common to have multiple thyroid antibodies. So now what I like to do is discuss each of the four different types of antibodies, starting with thyroid-stimulating immunoglobulins. And so thyroid-stimulating hormone receptor, this is mainly found on the surface of thyroid follicular cells. And so the thyroid-stimulating immunoglobulins bind to this receptor and stimulate the overproduction of thyroid hormone. And so the thyroid-stimulating immunoglobulins, this is a type of thyrotropin receptor antibody or TSH receptor antibody, also known as TRAB. So a lot of times on a blood test, you'll see TRAB. And TSI, or again, thyroid-stimulating immunoglobulins, these are the most common type of TSH receptor antibody. So again, these thyroid-stimulating immunoglobulins are associated with Graves' disease. And then there's thyroid peroxidase, or TPO antibodies. So thyroid peroxidase, this is an enzyme that is vital in the production of thyroid hormone and also might be called anti-TPO antibodies on some labs. So some labs, it'll be spelled out as thyroid peroxidase antibodies. Others will say TPO antibodies or anti-TPO antibodies. And these are the most common type of thyroid antibody. And they are present in over 90% of people with Hashimoto's as well as 60 to 80% of people with Graves' disease. Now, this does depend on the source. Some sources say that it's actually greater than 80% of people with Graves' disease. But either way, they are very common in both Hashimoto's and Graves' disease, a little bit more common in Hashimoto's, but I see a lot of people with Graves' who have them. When, when I dealt with Graves', I only tested positive for thyroid-stimulating immunoglobulins. I did not have any other antibody, but I do see a lot of people with positive TSI, as well as the elevated TPO antibodies. So these thyroid peroxidase antibodies, or again, TPO antibodies, these are associated with destruction of thyroid follicles. And so people with these anti-TPO antibodies, they are likely to become hypothyroid if the autoimmune response isn't addressed. Now, of course, it takes time for this to happen. So this usually isn't gonna happen in a matter of weeks and even months. Usually it does take years for this to happen, but it's something to keep in mind, which is, of course, why you want to address that autoimmune response. And so the third different type of thyroid antibody I like to discuss is thyroid globulin antibodies. So thyroglobulin is a glycoprotein that is secreted by thyroid follicular cells and stored in thyroid follicles. And these antibodies are more commonly associated with Hashimoto's. And one source did show that 30% of Graves' disease patients will test positive for these as well. And I'm not sure if it's that high in my patients. I don't keep track of the percentage of these antibodies, but I probably would say maybe around that, maybe a little bit lower, 20% if I had to guess. But but either way, so it, it is common to see people with Graves also to have these, not nearly as common as those anti-TPO antibodies. And on a blood test, you usually will ask to test for thyroglobulin antibodies, or it might be anti-TG antibodies, the TG standing for thyroglobulin. When testing in the blood, it's important to understand that not only can you test for thyroglobulin antibodies, but you could test for thyroglobulin. So remember, thyroglobulin, that's like that's the glycoprotein, and then there's the antibodies, which means that the immune system is attacking the thyroglobulin, damaging the thyroglobulin. So elevated thyroglobulin levels can be an indication of an iodine deficiency, 
rarely thyroid cancer, and also they could elevate when someone has thyroglobulin antibodies. So if someone has anti-thyroglobulin antibodies, it wouldn't be a big surprise to see elevated thyroglobulin, but an iodine deficiency, according to the literature, can also be a cause, and rarely cancer. So if you do have elevated thyroglobulin levels, I would not panic. It probably doesn't mean cancer, but if the levels are really high, it's still something you might want to if you're doing this test on your own, you definitely want to run this by a doctor. And then there are thyrotropin blocking antibodies. So this is the fourth type of antibody I'm going to discuss. And this is one I usually don't test for. And a big reason is because most labs don't offer this. Rarely does a lab offer this type of test. So the thyrotropin blocking antibodies block the TSH receptor to prevent TSH from binding. And this in turn results in hypothyroidism. So again, not one that I commonly see. Every now and then, I forget which labs. It's I'm pretty sure unless LabCorp, Quest Diagnostics, those are some of the more well-known labs within the United States. Unless they recently started testing for these, I'm pretty sure they don't offer it. But I have seen some other labs, some lesser known labs test for these. Hey, this is Dr. Eric, and if you're looking to do everything you can to save your thyroid gland, in addition to listening to this podcast, there are a few different ways we can help you. First of all, I've written a book on hyperthyroidism called Natural Treatment Solutions for Hyperthyroidism and Graves' Disease, as well as a book called Hashimoto's Triggers, which of course is on Hashimoto's thyroiditis, and you can find both of these on Amazon as well as other websites where books are sold. Second, you could also join my Graves' Disease and Hashimoto's Healing Community by visiting AutoimmuneThyroidGroup.com. And finally, if you want to get personal help from me, you could visit the website WorkWithDrEric.com. Just to let you know, I only see a limited number of new patients each month, and I do require anyone interested to complete a brief online application before working with me. And now back to the show. So now I'd like to discuss the significance of negative antibodies because not everyone who has Graves' disease or Hashimoto's will have positive thyroid antibodies. So as a result of what I just said, having negative thyroid antibodies does not always rule out having Graves' disease or Hashimoto's. So thyroid antibodies are what's called, they're of what's called the immunoglobulin G or IgG class. And some people might have depressed IgG levels, which can result in a false negative result. So the good news is that you can test for serum immunoglobulin G in most labs. Again, LabCorp, Quest Diagnostics, but most, most labs will test for the different immunoglobulins. And that's something to consider. I can't say that I have everyone test for serum IgG. If someone is suspecting that they have Graves or Hashimoto's and the antibodies are negative, then maybe they should test for serum IgG. Also, a thyroid ultrasound might provide some answers. Usually, it's not going to be diagnostic of Graves' disease or Hashimoto's, but it can provide some additional information. And in the case of Graves' disease, there is something called the radioactive iodine uptake test, and this is commonly used as a diagnostic tool for Graves' disease. I have a an episode that I dedicated where I discussed the radioactive iodine uptake test. I will say I'm not a huge fan of this test. If someone has the antibodies come out positive, those thyroid-stimulating immunoglobulins, then you don't need the uptake test to diagnose Graves' disease. Now, there are other purposes of the radioactive iodine uptake test. I'm not going to get into detail here. You could tune into that episode. 
So now I'd like to briefly discuss how to lower your thyroid antibodies. And I'm not going to spend too much time here. I will have a future episode where I go into greater detail on how to lower thyroid antibodies. And keep in mind that most endocrinologists won't give any recommendations to lower your antibodies. A lot of them will be hesitant to just test the thyroid antibodies. I mean, most of them will test them initially. So if you have Graves' disease, again, they'll test those thyroid-stimulating immunoglobulins or the TSH receptor antibodies. And that's also important to mention. Some doctors will test TSI. Some will test TSH receptor antibodies, a TRAB. And if someone has hyperthyroidism in the presence of the TRAB, then that's pretty much diagnostic of Graves, even though TSI is not the only type of TSH receptor antibody. Anyway, so most endocrinologists will test the antibodies and, and in the case of Hashimoto's. Actually, it's interesting. In the case of Hashimoto's, many times they will not test the, the antibodies. They will, if someone is hypo, they'll just... Because either way, if someone's hypothyroid, the treatment is typically the same, which is thyroid hormone replacement. So if someone has, let's say, elevated TSH levels, really regardless of what the thyroid hormone levels look like, they'll usually be put on thyroid hormone replacements and the antibodies aren't going to change that. But if they do test the antibodies, they're not going to do anything to improve the health of the immune system, which in turn can help to lower the antibodies and normalize the antibodies. And again, many will refuse to retest the thyroid antibodies. So most will, at least for hyperthyroidism, most of them will test those TSI or TSH receptor antibodies. For Hashimoto's, they may or may not. But when they do test for the antibodies initially, many will refuse to retest the thyroid antibodies. And the reason for this is because, again, they're not doing anything to address the autoimmune component of Graves' disease and Hashimoto's. So they, they figure it's worthless to retest those thyroid antibodies. And, you know, sometimes some of my patients will be successful in talking them into doing a retest. It probably won't be every single time, even though every now and then there'll be an exception and there'll be an endocrinologist that tests them all the time. But a lot of times it is a struggle to get an endocrinologist to retest those antibodies. So what you want to do when it comes to lowering thyroid antibodies, you need to refer back to that triad of autoimmunity. And so the triad of autoimmunity, you got that genetic predisposition, which of course you can't change. But the good news is that those other two components, the exposure to one or more environmental triggers, as well as that leaky gut. So those are extremely important. And if you address those, you can get into remission, whether you have Graves' disease or Hashimoto's or a different type of autoimmune condition. So detecting and removing the environmental trigger or triggers is important. Again, healing the gut is extremely important and also correcting other imbalances. So if someone has nutrient deficiencies, for example, now this won't fall into the category of triggers, but it still is important to correct certain nutrient deficiencies. An example is selenium, but really any nutrient deficiency is important to eventually correct. In a previous episode, I discussed the four categories of Graves' disease triggers, and this applies to Hashimoto's as well. So food could be a trigger. Stress could be a trigger. Infections can be a trigger. Chemicals could be a trigger. And as of recording this episode, we, we have past episodes which discuss some of these, but not all of these. A few different episodes on infections so far, for example. But there will definitely be more episodes in the future, which go into greater detail with these uh, different types of triggers, different categories of triggers. 
And it's important when it comes to detecting these triggers. So with food, of course, you could do an elimination diet. Some practitioners will also do food sensitivity testing. But just about all practitioners will do a conference of health history. And I like to do testing. I like to do certain testing. I don't go overboard with the testing. I do what I feel is necessary. But in my practice, I use testing to detect triggers. In a previous episode, I also discussed something called the 5R protocol, which is very important when it comes to healing the gut. The first component is remove. And a lot of people skip over this component. They'll go to the other four components, which are replace, which you could replace digestive enzymes, stomach acid in the form of betaine HCL or apple cider vinegar, re-inoculate with prebiotics and probiotics. And then the fourth component of that 5-hour protocol is repair with things like drinking bone broth or cabbage juice or taking L-glutamine, rebalance the parasympathetic nervous system is also part of that 5-hour protocol. So again, you want to incorporate all five of these components, but a lot of people won't focus on that remove. So for example, if gluten is causing leaky gut, obviously you need to remove the gluten from the diet. If an infection such as H. pylori or a parasite is causing that leaky gut, you need to eradicate the infection. So you need to really incorporate all all of these components. But as I mentioned, a lot of people will just take probiotics and digestive enzymes and drink bone broth or take L-glutamine, but they really won't focus on removing whatever is causing a leaky gut. So you might wonder what to do if your antibodies don't decrease, because I'm sure there are some people listening to this who have tried some of the things I mentioned and the antibodies haven't decreased. If the antibodies haven't decreased, the environmental autoimmune trigger might not have been removed or it might have not been detected. You might need to do more testing, for example, or maybe let's say if you had an infection and followed a protocol, maybe the protocol didn't do the job of eradicating the infection. So so again, you need to find or remove the trigger. Also, the autoimmune response, maybe it hasn't been suppressed. Most of the time when you remove the trigger, that will suppress the autoimmune response, but that isn't always the case. So sometimes you need to do other things to suppress that autoimmune component, to to suppress the inflammatory component. And the autoimmune paleo diet is something I give as a starting point to many of my patients. Again, I can't, it's not a perfect diet by any means. There's no perfect diet that fits everyone. But either way, an anti-inflammatory diet can help, but many times people need to take certain supplements such as omega-3 fatty acids, make sure they have healthy vitamin D levels, things like turmeric, resveratrol, and sometimes they need to take higher doses than what's indicated. And you don't want to go crazy. You don't want to overdose. That's why it's a good idea to work with a healthcare practitioner. And also low-dose naltrexone, which I also discussed in a previous episode, LDN. So this is not a natural supplement. This is actually a medication, but LDN sometimes can help to suppress that autoimmune component. And the goal, if you're taking LDN, is really it should be temporary, even though some people do take it long-term. You don't really want to take this on a permanent basis, ideally. If someone just absolutely can't find the autoimmune trigger, can't remove the autoimmune trigger, then I guess in some cases taking it on a long-term basis is, is okay, but that's not the ideal situation. And then the gut. So again, if the antibodies haven't decreased, maybe you found, removed the trigger or triggers, but you haven't completely healed the gut. And so go through that 5R protocol that I mentioned. 
And remember, again, you need, speak of that five hour protocol, you need to remove the factor that caused the leaky gut. So all five of those components are important, but many people skip over that, that first R that I mentioned. Another reason why antibodies might not decrease, maybe other compromised areas have not been addressed. So I mentioned earlier nutrient deficiencies. So again, there, it, it gets complex. And this is why even when working with a natural healthcare practitioner, it can be challenging, but definitely more challenging trying to do this on your own. So let's go ahead and summarize what I discussed during this episode. So again, there are four main types of thyroid antibodies, and it's common to have multiple thyroid antibodies. And having negative thyroid antibodies doesn't always rule out Graves' disease and Hashimoto's, and it can be challenging to normalize the thyroid antibodies, which, as I mentioned, that's why it's a good idea to work with someone. And, and I should say, of course, you could do things from a dietary standpoint on your own. You could do things lifestyle standpoint, so stress management techniques, for example. But many times, diet and lifestyle, even though they're important, they're, they're a key piece of restoring one's health, but doing these alone is cleaning up one's diet and managing stress, as important as these are, doing these alone usually won't get the person into remission, which again, that's why a lot of times we need to dig deeper and and detect and remove the environmental trigger. So that's where it can become challenging. And again, healing the gut by following that 5R protocol. And well, that's that's all I want to discuss when it comes to thyroid antibodies. I hope you learned a lot and I look forward to catching you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Save My Thyroid podcast. If you haven't done so already, make sure you hit subscribe to stay up to date on the latest thyroid health-related topics. And to get your free thyroid and immune health restoration action points checklist, visit SaveMyThyroidChecklist.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. Although I can't say that I'm a big fan of almond milk, recently one of my patients told me about a gizmo called the Almond Cow, which allows you to make your own almond, coconut, and oat milk without the extra ingredients that come with most prepackaged non-dairy milks. While I definitely can live without drinking almond milk, my wife won't drink the smoothie I make her unless if I add chocolate almond milk. And while I purchased organic chocolate almond milk from Whole Foods, it still has some extra ingredients. So I decided to purchase an Almond Cow, And I must say that I think it's a great product. Even though I'm not an almond milk drinker, I of course had to try out the almond milk I made, which was chocolate almond milk. I thought it tasted fine, but of course my wife disagreed as she didn't think it was sweet enough. And my younger daughter agreed with her. And so I do need to work on this. Anyway, if you want to drink coconut, almond, or oat milk, or two out of three, or all three, and if you want to avoid the extra ingredients, you might want to check out the almond cow. I want to let you know about a product called Hepatomune Supreme, which is a unique supplement that has a rare combination of N-acetylcysteine, also known as NAC, milk thistle, and schisandra to support the liver. And it also has a few mushrooms that can help support the immune system, including cordyceps, which has both immune modulating and adaptogenic properties and is great for those with Graves' disease and Hashimoto's. To learn more about Hepatomune Supreme, visit SaveMyThyroid.com forward slash liver support.